Oye, mi gente, you're... Dímelo, mi gente. Welcome back to the second season of OMG Podcast. Thank you so much for sticking with us and tuning in. This is Viv Moran. I'm a multimedia artist from South Jamaica, Queens, and your favorite tía. At this moment, I would like to start us off with our daily affirmation. I want to invite you all, my beautiful gods and goddesses who tune in every week. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. I invite you to join in as well. Affirmation. Obstacles are detours in the right direction. Now that we have charged our inner spirit crystals, I will now introduce our guests. Margie Ponce of Bloom, New Jersey. Margie Ponce Valencia was born in New Jersey. She is the creative director and founder of Bloom, New Jersey. Bloom, New Jersey is a media platform spotlighting the artistic culture in New Jersey. Their goal is to inspire young minds to get to know their community and be more involved with the underground music scene around them. Margie's parents are Peruvians from Lima. Her mom is from Chacra Rios, and her dad's from Barrios Altos. Her parents came here together in 1995. Although her dad had already been in the U.S. earlier in the 80s, he was traveling back and forth to Peru. Margie grew up in an artistic family of dancers, singers, and musicians. They taught her about criollo culture and Afro-Peruvian history. Her mother, at the age of six, and grandmother were part of Victoria Santa Cruz group, Teatros y Danzas, Negras del Perú. Later, at 15 years old, her mother joined Perú Negro, a musical ensemble founded in 1969 to celebrate and preserve Peru's black culture and música criolla. She has earned a reputation from then in Peru as an Afro-Peruvian dancer. Marchi's father runs a trucking business that was formed by his father in the 80s. I met Margie at a community resource fair put together by Alegria Peruanex and the Mayor's Office of Immigration Affairs. She was one of the speakers featured. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for joining us. How are you feeling? How's your spirit? I'm feeling pretty good right now, you know, uh, a little bit, you know, drained because I've been doing a lot of things here and there. But, you know, you got to just got to keep going. Word. I feel you on that. Yeah. Um, so to start the interview, I would like to offer you to take a deep breath with me. This okay. interview may get a bit heavy and I want to make sure that I'm able to hold space for both our feelings. OK, right, ready? Take a deep breath. OK, let's start. Margie, dime. Let's dive into your parents' history. Mm -hmm. How were their lives in Peru? Well, uh, my dad's life in Peru uh, was pretty difficult because uh, at the time that he was growing up, um, there was an economic crisis going on. And around that time, uh, my grandparents had already uh, made their way here to the U.S. and um, they were trying to find a way to get him here. Um, so he can make a life here as well, a living. And well, you know, later later on, he actually uh, he came here until he got his residency and his citizenship. And yeah, later later on, when he got the opportunity, he went back to Peru, and that's when he started dating my mom. 
and you know later on once she came here to the U.S. yeah he convinced her to stay with her and they made a life here together and yeah <laughs> and how was your mom's life oh my mom's life well she t- like I was talking to her earlier and she told me that although the economy really was difficult that she really enjoyed traveling and dancing you know because of you know being part of Peru Negro really gave her the opportunity to um visit other countries as well at a young age around like 15 14 years old and you know she's really grateful for that as well as well as providing for her family through something that she loved doing okay um Mm -hmm. did they tell you why you know they decided to leave like everything that they had behind yes um they they uh, really uh, stated that the economic crisis at that time during the late 80s, early 90s was very um, difficult. Um, they said there was an inflation going on. And although my dad did graduate um, as a lawyer in Peru, um, it didn't help because he couldn't develop his career at that time. And nothing was really working. Like It was really difficult to move forward and develop in whatever career you wanted to do. So... Um, they came here for a better opportunity and to also help their family financially in Peru as well. I'm guessing that was probably during uh, Fujimori's um, presidency, right? Yes, yes. I think the timeline sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, because I, I believe that's also the reason why um, my dad left as well. He was um, working in the government uh, when Alan Garcia was uh like president um i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure there's probably like an age difference between our parents like my dad's like in his um like going into his 60s oh my dad's probably my dad's like well like 64 my my mom just 60 so they're probably around the same age wow okay yeah yeah my mom had me at a later age so (laughs) i mean listen experience yeah (laughs) When they arrived, was there a language barrier? Oh, definitely. Um, my dad, I'm sure he had to um, learn English over here uh, while working you know, with uh, my grandpa, my, my, my grandfather's trucking business. And as for my mom, she up to this day, she still doesn't speak English. Like she'll understand some words, but um, she grew she grew up as a. Uh, she was pretty much a house mom, you know, when she came over here. Like, her life changed drastically from being a dancer and traveling, you know, places and being a dance teacher to, you know, being a house mom and finding, you know, a part-time job that could, you know, uh, get her on her feet. And, you know, dancing whenever she could, but, like, she does barely does it anymore, you know, because of, you know, years of, you know, dedicating herself mm. to the family and, you know, because she didn't really get to go out, you know, she never really developed the English language very well. So it's still a barrier. Do you think that there might have been like, how do I say it? Like, like a, not delusion, but it's like almost like you, so basically, like I've said before in like my previous um, interviews, the mm-hmm. U.S. has an amazing publicist. There's this belief that traveling over here, you're going to have so many opportunities, opportunities. waiting yeah. for you as soon as you land 
do you think yeah. that maybe it was like an eye opener for your mom like it's almost like crap like it ain't what people say it is right honestly like not only for my parents um there are a lot of people that that come here and really tell me like you know when even when i go to peru like people ask me about the united states like it's you know like it's some everybody has money and you know oh my god how is it over there and you know even i even have like some people i remember like back in the day when i first went to peru like i made friends you know family friends from there who are on my age and like oh can you like buy me a pair of like pants and send it to me and i'm like i always told them i'm like why do you they always act like we're rich or something and i feel like people don't understand that you struggle just as much over here yeah maybe there are more opportunities like maybe like job wise or maybe the chance of developing into a career you want but it takes like hard work you know and especially starting from the ground up it's not easy and Word. i mean look at my mom or my father who he was a lawyer in Peru and my mom a dancer and they still had to start from like the ground up to, you know, be where they are right now. Yo, facts. Like my mom was a journalist in Peru okay. and mm-hmm. her, I remember one of the jobs that she had was working at a factory making wow. like these plastic booties full of candy that were sold at like drugstores for like Christmas. Okay. And then my dad, he went to school for blueprinting. Like, I don't know if it was like architecture or like blueprint. Yeah, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. He had the government job, but then when he came here, he was, um, and uh, he used to unload the trucks at the airport to bring the food into the airplane. Right. I'm imagining it's full-time as well, not just part-time. No, Mm -hmm. no, no. And Yeah, like I hardly saw them. I remember being responsible for my sister. We're like four years apart. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, As you were getting older, because you were born here, right? Yeah, I was born here. So did you notice you becoming responsible for certain things that normal children wouldn't, you know, be responsible for? Um, such as? Well, you- okay, so you say that there's, like, a little language barrier your mom never oh, really... okay. Yeah. Yes. Did you find yourself always translating, yes, translating yes, certain paperwork or going to school? Since and- I was a kid. <laughs> Since I was a kid, especially, you know, I look at a lot of, like, um, my family who are, like... So, to be honest, like, my on my dad's side, like, you know, I have older brothers and sisters, so all of my cousins are already, like, in their 30s or 40s, and their children like are my cousins so I grew up with them and they grew up with parents that you know speak some English and they don't have to worry about that but me and my sister you know my mom and dad speak full-on Spanish and in the house we only spoke Spanish so whenever like you know they needed to translate for anything I would be eight years old trying to translate on the phone you know exactly what the other person on the line was saying or you know uh, also it was very difficult um when we would get homework from school and I would be in first grade and know what you know, I need to help with the homework and my parents didn't really understand what was going on so I would end up doing something else like you know from the kids in class and I remember like sometimes feeling a bit like embarrassed but at the same time it's like you know it really taught me that 
to kind of like to go outside and ask for help or to really like you know uh have the challenge to really do things on my own as well um yeah that i know there's a lot of things that you know when you're like normally a kid that you wouldn't really need to like worry about but you have to step up for your parents as well when they need you you know so did that ever make you i mean you said that you were like a bit embarrassed was it ever to the point where it was just you were almost like mad that you couldn't be like all the other kids no I was honestly I don't remember I don't recall myself ever being mad at my parents for not being able to translate or anything I mean of course like when it came to like the phone thing it'd always be like oh I don't want to talk on the phone because you know you're a kid so it's like you're shy and I was a really shy person you know so it was very difficult to like be on the phone or you know, at a store translating for, you know, my parents. But when it came to, like, school and stuff, you know, um, I did have, like, my half-brothers and sisters. They were already in high school. So whenever they could, you know, like, uh, they had the time, I'll ask them for help. And if not, then I'll just try my best. And, you know, like, I didn't think if, if I did things, like, if I didn't do what the teacher wanted me to do exactly, I still did the homework at the end of the day. So I didn't get in trouble for it. I would just kind of like stand out from the rest of my class. And also my first language was Spanish because my parents didn't want anybody to speak to us in English because they wanted to, for us to develop um, the Spanish language um, fully before and before we learned English in school. So I did have a bit of an accent growing up as a kid. And, um, you know, I guess that also stood out, you know, when I would speak or moving to Clifton, which is like, at the time was an all white town because now it's a bit mixed. So, you know, versus like I I initially lived in the city, which was more Hispanic, Mm -hmm. you know, um, area. And then coming here to Clifton really opened my eyes to like how much I stood out from the rest of the class. Yeah. And so that was an eye opener for me growing up. How was representation for you? You know, being like a Peruanita, but not just like Peruanita being black and Peruvian yes that I feel like that's a topic that you know I always talk to my sister I'm like you know being black and Hispanic is like both like very challenging because you stand out both ways you know either if you speak your mouth and you come out with an accent or just by being there and being a person of color in like an all white school and you know like there were like maybe like a couple of like other colored kids, but the majority were white. And it was, it felt very, I don't know, I felt very um, self-conscious of myself, you know? Like I was was very self-conscious because I remember when I was in in Union City, I I wouldn't worry about like, you know, like, uh, like if I spoke or if I did things wrong, like I was just a kid. And then when I came here, it was kind of like, I felt like it didn't fit in with the rest of the school. Mm. You know, I always stood out and the teachers loved us. You know, I can't complain. There was never like from the teachers, there was never any like, uh, what do you call it? Like any, um, I never really had any problems with the teachers themselves. Cause like my mom really um, educated us well. She raised us well. So I was always like the favorite in the class, like from the teacher's viewpoint, but within like my classmates, 
um, I just, I really felt like the other girls didn't really like, how do you say it? They didn't really, they like, they always saw me as different because mm. like, you know, we would speak and stuff, but I don't know. I always felt like there was this thing of like, you know, if you weren't, if you were like, of a, if you just look different, you just kind of like stood out or they would treat you differently. Was you know? it more from like the white girls or the black girls or was it equally? No, white girls, because, like, in my class, at least, there was only me and these, like, there weren't really, like, black girls or guys. Like, gotcha. if it was in the class, it was only, like, me and this other person or, like, one, there was one, you know, maybe Indian person in the room and gotcha. the rest okay. was white, you know. So, Did you yeah. ever, like, find yourself trying to identify and having to pick being black being both or being latina right um that was the thing because like i really to be honest it's like it was always confusing because i grew i knew i was black because you know like my mom's side of the family the we grew we grew up like even though my mom's side of the family is, is mostly in peru um, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know if you do this, like, with Peruvians, like, you call yourself, like, cousins or tias, tias yes, even though you're yes, not blood-related. Yes. Right, so there's, like, a lot of, like, um, artistic, in the, that she, artistic family that she grew up with, like, you know, in Peru, that they all call each other, it's like, oh, mi primo, mi prima, mi sobrina. Yeah. So that was, like, to me, that was my mom's side of the family, but they actually aren't blood-related, because my mom's side of the family is in Peru, you know? Mm -hmm. The only one that she has here is, like, my aunt and my cousin. And, um, so who I mostly hung around with in my family was my dad's side. And we were the only like dark skinned girls mm. within the family. So then it's like, I knew I was Hispanic, but I knew I was dark. So it's like, you know, and then you go to school and they tell you that you're not black because, you know, Hispanics Spanish, aren't black yeah. and this, this and that. But, you know, I never doubted my, like, you know, and I'm not how do you say like how some other Hispanics are like oh, I'm not black you know I'm Hispanic I never denied my my black roots I knew I was black because you know uh growing up in the Peruvian culture and knowing about like um Afro-Peruvian culture like they talk about black history within the songs and the dances and watching my mom dance and stuff like I knew my history and that's I, I, remember, I remember around middle school I came um, aware that I'm like I'm going to identify myself as Afro-Peruvian because I felt like there was nothing else that could really define me you know that was everything I was so it's like you know from now on everybody asks me I'm not gonna say I'm just Peruvian or just black I'm just gonna say I'm Afro-Peruvian and that's it and I would end up explaining to people what it meant and some people would get it and the majority wouldn't but I still mm. stuck to it and I was mm. always me and my sister are always proud to label ourselves as Afro-Peruvian and I've been labeling myself as an Afro Peruvian ever since, you know. Um, how did music become a huge part of your life? Uh, how did music become a huge part of my life? Um, my family, you know. I mean, um, yeah. so let me rephrase it. When did music become like a huge okay. part of your life? Like when did that take shape? In Honestly, you. since since I was born, because okay. in my in Union City, 
Um, not only did my, like, you know, I was surrounded by, like, my Afro-Peruvian culture. My dad is, like, uh, my dad and my grandpa, because my grandpa was um, one of the founders of uh, Camagüey, you know, the salsa group in Peru, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Jeje Camagüey. He was um, one of the founders um, when it first started, like, in the 1940s or 50s. So he was very, um, in Union City, it was a very, like, uh, popular area for a lot of um, Cuban mm-hmm. people. So a lot of um, uh, Cuban artists would come to the house to either borrow instruments or to just, like, reunite and, like, wow. like with my dad and my grandpa. So it was, like, very cultural. My, my other... Because in that house in Union City, it was, like, full house, pretty much. Mm-hmm. There were, like, 14 people living in that house, literally, wow. in that house. Yeah. And it was... Um, one of them was my great-uncle. He's a, a well-known guitarist in Peru, and he would also, like, bring um, people who were in the Latin jazz community in New York. And, you know, like, every, like literally everybody would go to that house. And that was me growing up all the way until I was, like, six years old. I would always grow up either watching my uncle practice his guitar violin, my mom dancing, or, you know, every time they'll get a fa- have a family reunion, everybody would just grab an instrument and start playing. And I always loved it. I, I remember always stayed up late at night. My mom would tell me to go to sleep. I just wouldn't because I just wanted to see, like, the environment and, and just being in that, like, growing up and watching it and being a part of, like, who I am, pretty much. Because it wasn't just that. I would go to shows. Like, that's what would happen at my house growing up. And just um, as I moved here to Clifton, they would still do shows and, um, like, they, they would do um, live events, mm-hmm. like, every other, like, if it was, like, a seasonal thing for, like, a, like Dia de la Musica Criolla, de la Canción Criolla, or, you know, any um, special, like, day or, like, the mm. Fiestas Patrias. Um, they always do rehearsals. So I feel like that always like inspired me and it always made me like, I remember growing up, I'll be like, oh, I want to be like a dancer or I just wanted to do something artistic, you know, because it's like, just like, you know, like, oh, my aunt's a singer. My mom's a dancer. So it was like, I wanted to do something. But then um, I remember in high school, I was like, all right, there's so many things I want to do, but what is it that, like, what speaks to me exactly? Mm-hmm. And I remember um, being in high school and, doing the talent show with my friends. We did, like, a little, like, hip-hop group and stuff. And I had another friend who was um, also doing music. And I remember that that night in the talent show, seeing so many, like, people being singers and stuff and how everybody just came, kind of, like, the art just brought people together. I was like, what if, like, like, all of, like, you know, like, the whole town was like this, you know, like, they all, sh- like, kind of shared... Mm-hmm. Like their art and just like because I just loved how like it brought people together. Together, yeah, yeah. And then I just thought about how my dad would be the one to put the shows together because he would like he'll know like oh you saying you play this and that all right I'm gonna have you 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 we're gonna do a show. He was in charge of like marketing and setting up the shows. <clears throat> Sorry, <laughs> and um, and he was always the one like moving things around and mm-hmm. getting connection. And he was, he's a business person. So he's like, he's always like getting things done. And never, I never thought about that side of like that trait mm-hmm. that he had that apparently I also have in me. And I'm like, why don't, why can't I just do that? But with the culture here in New Jersey. And that's kind of what prompted everything from like high school. I'm like, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And so and originally I was going to do this project go on 
call them underground innovators Mm -hmm. um, with my friend. And then, you know, after high school, you know, I went to college, he moved out. And later in life, you know, I picked up, you know, Bloom and Jay again. And that's pretty much where how like it it pretty much started from like seeing my family. And that's kind of what I'm trying to bring, you know, here to New Jersey. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, how was it for you growing up not being represented in the media? Like, there's one thing to identify with, like, peruanidad. You know, like, I remember Mm -hmm. it being a comedy show called Risas y Salsas. Yes, yes, I've seen it. (laughs) So there's that show, but then there's Afro-Peruanidad. Right. You know, how did that, you know, make you feel not pretty much seeing who you are? In the Peruvian media or, or, or in, in, in whatever was out there that represented us. So it's not just regular um, media that represents that, that you know, obviously there was no uh, any type of representation for Peruvians. Right. So on top of that, how did that make you feel not being represented? And hmm. then with whatever they had about Peru still not being represented right um I always felt well there were two sides of it because I guess I never really like as a kid you never really like I mean I guess you can but I guess I was kind of like I was so worried about kind of like fitting in you Mm. know when I was a kid that I didn't really wear like hey why don't we have an Afro-Peruvian this and that on like Disney Channel or you know this and that like you just kind of try to like you know, if you see, like, for example, uh, Dato Raven, right? And she's, like, black. And you're, like, you kind of relate to her because she's black. But then you don't realize that she doesn't fully represent who you are because, mm. you know, you're also Latina. So I guess you always, I would always try to, like, kind of, like, grab bits of, like, whatever I saw in the media that I could mm. probably relate to. But it was always, like, I, w- I would always try it would always end up to me trying to be you know trying to trying to fit into that category gotcha and trying to find myself within my environment whatever you know I was growing up and I just remember sometimes seeing like uh like watching a show and watching how an American family is and I'm like how come like you know why don't we do this or why don't we go, wake, wake up at 6 a.m. on Christmas and open up the presents? Word. Because you know, that or, doesn't exist. We eat breakfast right. the next day and play with our toys. We right. open our toys it's at like, 12. I feel like growing up, you want to fit in so much that you become a little bit ungrateful with like your actual culture. And it's not until you grow up that you're like, wait a minute, you know, like... I grew up this way and they yeah. used to reminiscent of like how like you your actual like childhood and how mm-hmm. different is not bad after all, you know. It's just it's just who you are, you know, and, and you don't realize that until you grow up and Word. Yeah. Word. But um and as for like the Peruvian media, um and I, all I know is that every time <laughs> they had like a black person come in, it would always be like blackface. Yeah, you know, like oh all God. the time, and for some reason, like I don't know why, 
like afro peruvians are like i'm not saying everybody's okay with it but like even in my own family like they wouldn't get mad at it they would just like laugh and they would take it as a joke because i guess it's like it's a honestly it's a peruvian thing to kind of like all right you know like take this with like a sense of humor but i feel like there's a limit to it and you yeah. can't always be okay with it because then when it becomes like a regular thing to be the black person in the room and people to just pick on you for being black and then you know no fact because they see on tv and they're like oh it's part of a culture you know oh you know you know we're cool you know like and then they call you like oh like negro negra or this and like that. it's supposed to be like a bad thing almost like right my grandma hated that show especially with the way that they depicted black black peruvians mm-hmm. like because even like you know with my what my grandmother went through in being a afro-peruana and being the dark one of the darkest ones and her family mm-hmm. you know if the u.s was being a certain way to black people you know and they had the jim crow era mm-hmm. in peru is like they don't teach you any of that they don't teach you any of that and it's or like it, 10 times worse and yeah, you know because none of that none of the movements that happen here have haven't happened yet in Peru and if they do people don't take it seriously because it doesn't get enough media coverage or definitely definitely Mm -hmm. that was that's also like one of the main things that she Mm -hmm. could never find reasons to identify as a afro-peruana because Mm -hmm. of one how she was treated and how she was being depicted yeah. Did you ever have that conversation with your parents about like yeah. identifying? Um, around here or just in general? Like, like in about general, being black in general, your identity. Yeah. Um, I remember the one thing I was going to say is that I'm I'm glad that I got my education here in the U.S. because you learn about the history here in the U.S. and how um civil rights movement and all the history how people like stood up for you know like having the right to like say hey you know that's wrong you know we don't want to be treated this way or you know like gaining rights through like really gathering people together and and speaking out and i remember always asking like my dad i'm like hey like why like why is it like you know like why hasn't there been any progression in Peru when it comes to like, you know, Afro-Peruvians or like haven't, hasn't like there been any like, um, any like black movements, like, you know, that really like launched like a movement or, you know, like I was just asking like questions based off of like the history from here mm-hmm. to Peru. Cause like, you know, you grew up here, you don't grow up, grow up knowing too much about the history in Peru. Like, like my dad knows a lot about history and music culture and he would tell me the stories of like what this young man would, would speak of the history and I remember him telling me that there was a rebellion in Peru between the slaves and but they had like exterminated them all mm-hmm. at like some point in time and you know um I don't know. And, and it always bothered me how, like, my family, like, even between them, like, they would bring themselves down for being black. But that's a joke. Like, oh, like, if you're, like, the darkest one in the room, they're mm-hmm. going to pick on you for that. And I'm like, 
like say nothing about like this person's like self-esteem because like they're laughing and stuff but then you grow up with a mentality of like oh you know like i don't want my child to be this dark because he's gonna get picked on for that or they lay their eyes on like a woman that's lighter than them because mm-hmm. I feel like that's just subconsciously like in you, you know, like from all the jokes. Are, right. Exactly. And it's like, it always kind of bothered, but it always seems like people were like, we're just okay with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, like, I'm like, why? Like, that's not, I always grew up confused with that because it was like, I was living in two worlds where over here, like, I know you would like get bashed for like, you know, bringing up somebody's skin color, especially mm-hmm. like a darker, a person with a darker complexion. Like, you know, if you were like a, like white or any other mm-hmm. race mm-hmm. and then if you're proven, it's like, it's okay. Cause it's like, you just have to take it as a joke and period. And I would, I, that always really confused me. And I guess I never, I, I, I would question it, but I wouldn't really take it too far. And I would just kind of like make my own, like I would make sense of it within myself. And mm-hmm. I'm still trying to like kind of like figure out like why it's still okay still did, to this day to be like that. Did you ever, you know, ha- like tell your parents that, you know, how all that would make you feel? No, actually, I I never really I've never told my parents like like about I mean, I have brought it up questioning it like I said before but I never like really told them like hey I don't think that's right or Mm -hmm. you know oh you shouldn't or I wouldn't like call out somebody for saying hey you should pick on him for like his skin color because you know I feel like they make it so part of like who they are or they know each other for like years Mm -hmm. and they've always talked to each other that way like you can't really step in and say anything because I yeah, just where? feel like they just they they wouldn't really like to them it's like not that serious so it's like gotcha. for me it's more of like something that I take within myself and if I were to have kids or my own generation or the new generation I wouldn't pass that along to them personally you know no so yeah, I feel like definitely. that's just something that that's something that should just like kind of like die like out bury within... under the rug and stuff right. yeah, yeah I gotcha let's talk about Bloom New Jersey you know, yes. how did that come about? Oh, man. Bloom and Jay. Um, well, like I said, I had another project in high school similar to Bloom and Jay. And I started, you know, after graduating high school and figuring out what you want to do in your major and figure out yourself and what you want to do with your life. <laughs> um, I remember uh, I transferred to William Patterson University in Wayne, New Jersey, um, like around two years ago. And they have the artistic community over there is, is pretty awesome. Like I saw like so many talented people, singers, rappers, and musicians. And it just kind of like, I was, it just kind of reminded me of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I last year, last summer, um, last year in the summer, sorry. Um, I was just, um, thinking I'm like, like, I don't have to give it up, you know, mm-hmm. just because, like, I used to do it. Because I remember I would always say, oh, I used to do this or I used to do that. And I'm like, like, I could just bring it up again. And, yeah, you know, I, I talked to my sister and she's like, yeah, like, just get it started, you know. like, And I just created the, the Instagram page and it just took on from then, you know. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's, that's like, really, really awesome. 
um, I feel like in our neighborhoods, in our communities, we need uh, something like right. that brings us together because I feel like with music, music transcends. Right, yes. You know, music is supposed to make everyone feel something. Yes. Like you and have it brings people together. Yeah, like I remember listening to Bob Marley in Peru. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. You know, so it's supposed to do that. It's right. music is one of the things that unites people from different ethnic backgrounds. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I feel like the world is so disconnected within themselves like even your own neighborhood you know people don't talk to their neighbors you know people don't go to their local businesses you know everybody goes to like some big you know like franchise that sells this is or that like people don't support each other anymore uh like people are intimidating with making a phone call because they don't want any like direct you know communication and i feel like with music music is healing you know, and music brings people together. And I feel like that's one of the the key ingredients that we need right now in this world to kind of like break barriers and really like start to heal like our community and, you know, little by little the world to kind of like, like encourage people and inspire people to be more united and to support each other. And I feel like with music, it's so powerful that it's possible through that. You know, and I'm a person who wants to do like I want to change yeah. the world, and I feel like I had to pick what I wanted to do, and I feel like, all right, I definitely want to work with music, and I want, and I may not be a singer, I may not be a musician, but I feel like I could help somebody who's very talented and help them, like if they have like a good heart and they want to change the world mm-hmm. as well. I want to work with that person and really like get them known in the community and you know bring people to them and yeah you know like let it go from there <laughs> since founding um bloom and jay how has that helped you find your place and your identity hmm i feel like when you want to do something you end up discovering uh stuff about yourself that you didn't know you had in you you know like I said I used to be a very shy kid um all I knew is that I like to dance mm-hmm. <laughs> and that I like to draw and that's about it but I would have never if you would have told me at seven years old or 13 or even 15 I never would have thought that I would be like like a leader pretty much you know mm. starting my own project or having to to socialize with people and having to really like like make things happen for yourself instead of depending on others. And I feel like it's, it's very, it's become very uh, a challenge for me to really like push forward and keep pushing forward to get to where I want to be. Because, you know, sometimes you end up like surprising yourself and you're like, wow, you know, maybe this person doesn't know what I had to do for me to be the way I am. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, it yourself and it's like, it just inspires you to like keep, pushing forward and be to become to essentially become the person that you have to be to do what you want to do you know yeah Yeah. definitely um so let's talk about this video that you did you were dancing (laughs) to a festejo cover 
of yes. Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. It has yes. currently 796 views. Yes. I did not expect it to get that many views, to be honest. And it's on Facebook too. On Facebook, yeah. yeah like my even my mom saw it. I didn't even like show her the video. She's like, "Hey, me video I'm like, "What? How did you find that?" Yo, you. It's safe to say it went viral because, <laughs> like, how does that make you feel? Ah, uh, man, it's like I feel like it really opened my eyes to like how something that you didn't really expect to really like, that you just kind of put out there, it really got so much attention more than I thought it would, to be honest. And not, I'm not saying that, you know, I didn't expect it to get any attention, but I feel like when you put out something that's different from mm-hmm. another culture mm-hmm. onto like an audience that's like, you know, probably the majority not like Peruvian or Latino or stuff. And it's like they like people who aren't, like even mm-hmm, anything mm-hmm. close to that respond positively to it is kind of like like wow you know like it's it's very inspiring and yeah. very motivating and it also makes me very happy to know that Afro-Peruvian culture and dance really brings that much attention because I'm like wow I really want this to really develop into something and for the whole world to know about Afro-Peruvian culture for real like man I um I had got braids done one time okay. and I um, I used to work at Starbucks in Four Sales in Queens and I forgot what the hell we were talking about that my coworker was like, yeah, but they're no, you're not black, you're Peruvian. I'm like, they're, oh my God. I'm black and yeah. They are black Peruvians. And he was just there like, no, Peruvians are either white or look Indio, like Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, and then I just started thinking like, there needs to be more of what you're doing to bring out more Afro-Latinidad within Peruvian culture. Because we're out there. We're out there. Yeah. And then me, I'm, I don't say I'm Afro-Peruana. What I say is Afro-Indígena mm-hmm. because my, on my mom's side, my mom is Afro-Indígena, but she's okay. like super light-skinned because her father is a light-skinned, you know, indigenous man, was. Yeah. And on my dad's side, my dad looks black, but his mom is indigenous. Okay. You know, so I just yeah. like I want to be able to bring both things. You know, so I'm yeah. definitely like I you know, love, when I s- love that term Afro Indigenous. Yeah. I'm yeah. like I'm like wow, I love that term to be honest. I because love it, love you it. know, like when you said that your dad is like many things, yeah. I started thinking about you know like my dad. My dad has Japanese cousins. Oh my God! Yes. I feel like that's every Peruvian, to be honest. Yeah. Like, no matter what you identify as, we're all so mixed. We like, are a cauldron. Yeah. If New York is a melting pot of cultures, Peru is a cauldron of different ethnic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is which, who we are. That makes me love Peru 
even more because I'm a person that, you know, I'm not somebody who's like, even though like I'm Afro-Peruvian or I'm black, it's like, I'm not a person like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to stick to my own people and stuff. Like I love learning about other cultures and going to places that are very diverse and knowing that my own country is so like diverse within its food and its people and its culture. It's yeah. like, it's like, it inspires me. I'm like, yo, this is where I come from. And, yeah. It's like know. pretty amazing. I just, I feel like there definitely needs to, we need to do something about the racism and colorism mm-hmm. that is going on uh, within our patria because if we can all come together and enjoy las fe- las fiestas patrias and listen to música criolla and listen to the cajones you know which is black yeah we yeah. should be able to embrace that black culture not yes. just the music aspect oh my gosh of it. and I feel like right now, with through social media, those barriers are coming down, and now like I feel like Afro Latino like now is that's become an official term that everybody yeah. uses now. I feel like everybody's wanting to learn more about each other's culture, and I see so much, so many people listening to like Afro Peruvian music or using the cajon worldwide. Yeah, or Victoria Santa Cruz is like I see her. You uh, negra. That poem I see yeah, I everywhere in Colombia. Every they even year. translated it into English here in the U.S. And yeah. I'm like, that's so I, awesome. Every year, I feel like I see it every single year and I cry every single year and I not only cry for myself but I cry for my grandmother Mm -hmm. because I feel like if she was able to accept those words and Mm -hmm. and listen to what Victoria was talking about because I can only imagine you know right. how she lived as well mm-hmm. I feel like my own identity would be different because you know like um with that speech that I gave at the uh, community resource fair yeah I remember it's mm-hmm. still very like ingrained like when I told my mom my mom is very uh sweep things under the rug type of person but you know I I didn't take identity as serious till I saw my niece picking things out that didn't look like her her interests was white and blonde and then knowing okay. why, I'm like, oh, no, like, I cannot have anyone go through, you know, mm-hmm. what I went through. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that Victoria's poem is being embraced. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I grew up, like, knowing that poem because of, like, you know, my mom or family remnants on, like, you know, like, Victoria Santa Cruz and the Pregones. So I've heard it before, but it never I never really understood how important, how deep it was until I recently saw it portrayed um in Colombia 
And just seeing so many videos on the internet of people interpreting that same poem and really listening and reading into it, paying attention. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you just, like, you know it, but you never really read into, like, the meaning of things. Until now, I'm like, wow, that's so powerful. Like, people, they need to hear this, you know. And it makes me so happy that it's really, like, that poem is, is so much needed, especially now more than ever. And it's yeah. uniting cultures and everyone can relate to that poem who's of Afro-descendant. Yeah, it's definitely now like shining light on Afro-descendants from different, you know, countries like mm -hmm. Mexico has a whole, you know, black community. Mm -hmm. um, Colombia has a whole black community. And not like we knew that black people yeah. existed also in Colombia, but not to the mm -hmm. extent where right. they literally had their own um, neighborhood with their own right. language mm -hmm. where, you know, their, where African culture, it's still very much ingrained right. in them. And, where and even Ecuador and Argentina, like Argentina, I never even would have imagined. Right. But there they, are, yeah. there is Afro culture in, in Argentina, you know? Yeah, it's very, like, underlining because, you know, of what they did and how they wanted to, like, wipe their hands, you know, clean of mm -hmm. it. But I feel like in now, with the way that social media is working and shining light on that you can be Black and you can be you can be black yeah. and speak Spanish. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So. And not be identified as yes. Dominican. Yes. Oh my God. I'm so oh tired of hearing God. that. Oh my God. I'm like, do God. I sound Dominican to you? For real. Like, even Peruvians <laughs> don't believe that I'm Peruvian. Me, same here. They same do here. Not. It's like, but then, you know, you kind of catch yourself because it's like, I, I, it's so rare to me another Afro-Peruvian that when I see another, like, if you're black, you tell me you're Peruvian, like, yo, you Peruvian? Like, I'd be surprised yo, too. But then it's like, real. of excitement at the same time. It's, Not it's, so much yes. as like, because you're black, but it's kind of like, yo, shit, like, you Another Peruvian. It's Peruvian. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't grow up with any type of representation in right. South Jamaica. It was a mixture, but more black. Okay. More black. And then the only Latinos that existed when I migrated here in the 90s were Puerto Ricans and Mexicans. Mm -hmm. And the way that Mexicans were portrayed, you didn't want to be right. Mexican. You wanted to be Puerto Rican. Right. So, Or just because you spoke Spanish, that was the only thing connecting you because at the yep. end of the day, you couldn't really relate to them. Yep. As like 100%. Like... Yeah. Like, I feel like if I were in that situation, I mean, I mean, it, it really depends on your personality. Because I, I was never one to really, like, I'm going to hang out with whoever looks like me. But when it came to relating, I would probably, identify, like, relate more to a black American. Because, you know, people see you with their eyes. They never really, like, they, their first impression of you is always, mm -hmm. like, how they see you, you know. Yep. And people, every yeah. time they meet me, they always think I'm black you know so you know like you deal with racism and you know you deal with like people like kind of like stereotyping you like oh you know oh you probably listen to like hip-hop or something like Word. you know like 
until they, they find out that you're Hispanic. And then, like, then suddenly everything changes. Yep. It's like it. they no longer see the black. They just see the Spanish. Spanish, Which they yeah. should be seeing both because, you know, in within Latinidad, there is a black identity. Mm-hmm. You know? Looking back at everything, would you go back and change anything? In my life? Um... Would I change anything? You know, I'm always thinking of that. Like, would I change anything? And honestly, you know, no, because then I wouldn't be who I am right now. But at the same time, it's like I do feel like there are certain things that I probably could have done better mm. that maybe I would have, like, progressed, you know, like, you know, like at least at this point in my life, like maybe I would have wanted to be, like, you know, uh, and better like doing like you know like having this goal set and stuff but you know I feel like everything in its own timing and I trust like in God's timing so it's like you know just steady as she goes you know kind of like take your time and I feel like sometimes your goals you know you don't meet them because there's still a lot that you have to learn within yourself to grow in order to be prepared to what you want for what you want to do so at the end of the day no I wouldn't change anything at all you know I'm grateful for the lessons I've learned (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. All right, guys, it's time for that one piece, not to be confused with that wildly popular anime that we all know and love. This is that one piece of advice that you would give to a younger you. So let's start. What advice would you give to a younger you, Margie? Man, I would say um, that if you really want to do something, don't depend on somebody else to do it. You know, just go for it and, you know, don't care about what anyone tells you. You know, you just do, just accept that you're different, you know, like be unique, be everything that you are, you know, don't try to be anybody else and just do it. You know, and don't worry, don't sweat about the little things, you know, because, you know, you have a long life to live and, you know, all that matters are like the great memories that you make right here, right now. Yeah. That was beautiful. (laughs) That was beautiful. Thanks. (laughs) Okay, guys, we've reached the end of this episode. But before I bid you all adieu, I want to pose a question to you all, mi gente. This week, I want to ask, oye, mi gente. What is the most important thing you've learned in your life? Piénsalo. Feel free to leave your insight and answers in the comment and review sections below. I really want to know. All right, guys, this is it for this week's episode. A huge thank you to Margie for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you you so much for that awesome conversation. Until next time, mi gente. Ciao. Remember to follow us at OMG podcast on ig we're available on all your favorite streaming platforms be sure to subscribe and leave us a comment in the review section also follow at deacon media on ig and if you want to know more about the deacon media network and what we do you can check out the entire deacon media family on deaconmedia.com.